0: Welcome to a new episode of the Let's Turn the Tide podcast by Veolia Near and Middle East. Our special series Voices of COP continues with an amazing woman I'm really glad to meet today, Daina Luda. Daina Luda is the president of the Veolia Institute, an independent space for collective thinking, a platform for discussion and debate to carry out forward looking work at the crossroads of the environment and the society. Diana is also an advisor on international relations to the CEO of Veolia and a member of the Ethics Committee. In today's episode, we will explore the role of Veolia Institutes in the fight against climate change and her experiences in COP meetings. Naluda, welcome on the Let's Turn the Tide podcast. Thank you, Nadine. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to have you on, a, on our special series Voices of COP. How are you doing today?
1: Very well, very well. Waiting to hear what comes out of the COP28.
0: Same here. Right. <laughs> imagine. Yeah. So, so Daina, I want to start our conversation about the Veolia Institute, because I'm, I'm very curious to learn more. Uh, it's a very unique platform within the Veolia Group dedicated to investigating the intersection between the environment and the society. Could you tell us more about its mission and, and activities? Sure, thank
1: you for the question. You're right, it is original within the Veolia system, but it's original altogether. Few companies have such a foresight institute. So it's an institute that's been around since 2001, and the idea was to have some kind of small institution that would be at the interface or a kind of platform for discussions and conversations with civil society, with the academic community, with researchers, in other words stakeholders that we don't necessarily know as well. And the idea was to have a platform for discussion that goes both ways, so Listening to these outside stakeholders from academia and research and NGOs would bring, would shed light on some of Veolia's thinking. And in the other way, we would bring into the conversation in a low profile way some of Veolia's uh, experiments, experiences uh, with water, waste, and energy all over the world.
0: It's amazing. And since we are, you know, on this special series Voices of COP, I want to make the link between what you do at the Veolia Institute and the COP meetings. So can you tell us more about any contribution you've made on uh, on the COP discussions and more broadly the role of the Veolia Institute in the fight against climate change?
1: okay so certainly many of the topics i mean the kinds of topics that we've covered have been very broad but they have to shed light on a on an issue that is of importance to the environment, to society, and to Veolia. So it's been topics on artificial intelligence and environmental services, on indoor air quality, on critical materials we would need if we were really all going to do a low-carbon transition. We've looked at the prospects of urban agriculture. We've looked at all kinds of topics, and a lot of them really have to do with climate. I should also mention that in order to do our work, to do our studies, our conferences, our publications, the fact reports, we are guided by a foresight committee uh, which has uh, six, seven very important prominent uh, international experts and so they shed light, they help us, they help us identify topics, people to work with, institutions and that's a huge help. We also have gone to CUP uh, with certain publications and certain discussions. I should mention that since 2015, um, the Veolia Institute has been accepted as an NGO observer by the UNFCC. So that means that unlike the, the, a company, uh, we are seen as a contributor to the, to the discussion and we can actually do our events, uh, within the blue zone where we have, you know, select uh, parties so we can be with the other parties within that blue zone. Uh, And so we can have conferences in the blue zone, but of course, also in the green zone for a wider sharing with civil society. And we do both.
0: I'm curious to know how does it fit the work that you do at Veolia? Because Veolia is a private organization. And what you do is that kind of the intersection of, you know, private, public. Uh, So just tell us more about that
1: what we're trying to really do is uh, build a conversation Uh, as I said in both ways we really the Institute is here to listen we're not selling anything we're not promoting anything we're here to listen to trends in society and listen to people that we don't always listen to the Institute is a Veolia Institute so um we are backed by veolia and that means that we can bring to the discussion in an appropriate way you know low profile as i said low key we can also discuss um experiences, uh, problems, whatever that Veolia has had, and discuss it, or questions that we are asking ourselves. We don't necessarily have the answers yet, and we're discussing this with academics. And we've been told that at our conferences and some of our meetings or with the Foresight Committee, it's also very interesting for the researchers and the academics, because they don't necessarily speak to corporate people all that much either. We're having a conversation, we're in different perspectives, and that is very enriching in fact for a global group like Veolia especially because we have a broad purpose I mean we're doing essential services and so there's the technical technological side but there's a whole society side what do people what do citizens want what do they fear or what are the trends policymakers as well so I think it's very important to be part of that ecosystem and to listen and then, as I say, to bring into discussion our own experiences.
0: Amazing work, Diana. And you mentioned COP twenty one. COP twenty one was in Paris in twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. and uh, it came, you know, with the Paris agreements, this landmark agreement where finally countries came together to agree to reach the one point five degrees Celsius targets. So I want to have more your personal, you know, experience. And can you share any insights? Um, moments that, you know, uh, were quite impactful for you.
1: Sure, thank you. Yeah, it was, well, it was a, you know, huge event. It was a huge event. And since it was in Paris, yes, Veolia and the Institute participated actively. I mean, it was very exciting. It was groundbreaking. Of course, it wasn't perfect. You know, the Paris Agreement was not perfect. There was nothing uh, compulsory about anything. And a lot of people didn't come or didn't sign. uh, And there was no mention whatsoever of fossil fuels. So, of course, there was criticism. Nonetheless, it was an enormous, moment of global environmental diplomacy. And I think it was very important and it really set the way for what we're doing. Before the conference, before the COP21 and during, we decided to focus on methane emissions. Today, people are talking about methane emissions. For the, Since 2021, there's been a global methane pledge. Uh, and again, we're talking about it at COP28. But in at the COP uh, agreement 21, people weren't talking about it so much. We had a publication, uh, we had a conference, to, several conferences, to try to raise awareness, and we had some journalists come and cover it. So I think that was sort of a less discussed at the time topic where we could perhaps be of, of interest.
0: That's a fantastic example, uh, Daina, of, you know, the the work of the Veolia Institute and how you bring you know forward the conversation uh, in a platform like, like COP. And it triggers actually another question for you. Uh, COP is very much criticized nowadays because it's the 28th conference of the parties that we're witnessing right now in, uh, in, in Dubai. Um, and, and you have, you know, people very much against this institution, this platform, and some people still having hope and, and using this platform. So I want to have your opinion about, you know, the, the, the COP itself. Sure. I mean, it
1: depends if you're optimistic, pessimistic, a a, you know a little bit of both. You're right. There are very high expectations uh, because it is a, a very big deal whether we get this right as a global community. This was a huge event. As I understand it, there were 100,000 people there. So it was one of the biggest events. Why? Because it is the place to be for global environmental diplomacy, for climate. That's where it is. It's a lot of parties, it's all states, it's companies, it's NGOs, it's people, um, and there is no other place like it. We could see from the last days and from all day to day and from yesterday, how difficult it is to find common language on you know, getting rid of fossil fuels. Because a lot of countries, a hundred countries, want to get rid of, you know, say that we are going to go on a path to eliminate fossil fuels. But then, of course, the big fossil fuel producers do not want to say that. But at least there is the discussion. There is the discussion. I hope there will be some kind of wording. Maybe it doesn't meet the moment. Most likely it will not meet the moment and will not set us on that trajectory for a 1.5 degree uh, warming. We're probably not there. I think all the experts pretty much agree we won't make it to 1.5, maybe not even 2. Nonetheless, nonetheless, the conversations, the agreements, the pledges, that are made at COP28 are super important. Uh, And, you know, is it really realistic to expect uh, countries with as different interests as maybe the European Union, for sure, the small island states, Saudi Arabia and the OPEP countries? I mean, there really are lots of differences, so is it How realistic is it to hope for a call to eliminate? I don't know. But in the meantime, there have been a lot of
0: advances uh, at COP28. What's the major takeaway in your view so far? Just for the the context for our audience, we are on the 12th of December. Right. So the final text hasn't been released so far. No. And negotiations are still ongoing. So. Exactly. So people, you know, w- the final text isn't out. We'll see what exactly, what
1: language they're going to come up with for, uh, going on a path towards eliminating fossil fuels. In the meantime, the finance pledges, the, uh, the loss and damage fund is getting operationalized. And that's a big deal for more vulnerable countries. And I know that the Emirates have pledged $100 million to it, and other countries have pledged as well. That's a big deal. There's the Green Climate Fund. That's getting pledges as well. The methane pledge that I mentioned before, that's being reinforced with new companies signing on to it, new big oil companies, uh, food and agriculture. Are now part of the discussion, and a lot of countries are including it in their climate plans. Those are all things I think that go in the right direction. And I will say that this is, I mean, one should not forget, this is the first time that a COP talks about fossil fuels. It's mentioned. It was never mentioned in the past. I mean, you know, it was, it was the elephant uh, in the room. Nobody talked about it because you couldn't get it into the agreement. So now they're discussing, should we say reduce? Should we say eliminate? But whatever it is, we're talking about fossil fuels. And that's a first. So I don't see how you can say that this global governance is useless. It is imperfect. It can be infuriating. But definitely it is vital. Yeah. We can't do without it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, and thanks for bringing some perspective actually to the discussion and to the yeah to the the intense work going on right now. So y- you've been Diana yourself to many COPs, I guess. Not too many, uh, uh, not too you- many. But I was okay. in Paris. I was in Denmark, <laughs> and I was in uh, I was in Marrakesh. <laughs> What's your? I think you. I-, I love how you explained. You know the the process and how you know complex it is actually, but needed for uh, to advance the the fight against climate change. Do you have any uh, memorable souvenir or moments that you want to share with us from one of your COP?
1: Yeah, uh, well, the most memorable for me was certainly in Marrakesh, because it was in November 2016, and that was the election of Donald Trump. And so uh, here we were, there was the American delegation, and they were fighting very much, you know, after the Paris Agreements for, for this and that policy, and a very committed group of people. And in the night, Donald Trump is elected President of the United States. And so clearly, uh, there's going to be a change in policy. Uh, we could suspect, but we didn't yet know how great a change of policy there would be, including or maybe especially on environmental issues and that uh, President Trump would take America out of the Paris Agreement. But already you knew that this was going to be something different, something we had probably never seen. And so just the next day going to the blue zone, because as I told you, we were able as an institute to go into the blue zone and to see the faces of the American delegation trying, you know, like... What do we do? What do we negotiate? Do we stop everything? So they were putting on a brave face, but there was a lot of panic. That's, for me, one of the most memorable. How do you do, you know, what do you do if there's an election in the middle of a cup discussion and you don't know what's coming? I think that makes it really hard. I think that these negotiators, who are very committed people, they're experts, I think they have a hard... A hard task they do it for you know as i said many weeks and months and perhaps years and sleepless nights they're blurry eyed and then they get beaten up on because they're not doing enough well they're trying to find a compromise with 200 countries that is no easy feat you know so i believe that this multilateral diplomacy which is much criticized much maligned never perfect is really one of our you know slender hopes uh, for finding common policies worldwide to stop or abate climate change.
0: Absolutely, and and your example shows how complex those discussions actually are. And it reminds me what the COP 28 president said, that uh, a COP is a highly politically charged uh, a platform mm-hmm. and that's yeah that's actually that so we're nearing the end of, of our podcast and our episode with you Diana I want to ask you because uh, COP28 is happening currently in Dubai and it's created so much momentum on the ground I've seen so many schools kids at COP I've seen so many people discussing now about climate and realizing its effect in their lives and taking action so what What could be, you know, your final message to our listeners to um, keep going on on, on the climate, you know, action? Well, you just said it.
1: Keep going. Uh, Don't lose hope. It's a long road. But every little bit counts. Mm. Every little bit counts. I mean, we are probably, as we said earlier on, not on track for 1.5 degree warming. So there will be consequences we need to face. Uh, But every little bit matters and everybody can play their part we can still decarbonize the economy it involves everybody It involves states that set the regulations, it involves cities that adopt different policies that are more or less climate friendly, it involves companies producing goods and services in such a way that it is not emitting or emitting as little as possible, and it involves all of us, citizens. I mean, we make choices every day that are good for the planet or not. We can think about it and worry about it or we can neglect it completely but we are all every day making choices um, and so not to say at all that this is up only to individuals but individuals do have a role to play they can make a lot of noise, uh, they can push for measures, they can complain when the measures don't go far enough and all of that is very helpful and they can be aware that they make a difference. Because, you know, failure really isn't an option. We all have part of the solution. At the Cups, we, they do highlight, showcase solutions. It's a long hill that it's complicated, that there are no simple solutions. So simply criticizing isn't going to do it. But there should be criticism to go forward faster yeah. because it is an absolutely essential issue, but that we all have our role to
0: play. Absolutely. Thank you, Diana. And the Veolia Institute is a fantastic platform as well for those discussions. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking all these questions. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the Let's Turn the Tide podcast. And we hope to to see you soon in Dubai next time. Thank you very much. Mm Bye-bye, Nadine. I really want to thank Diana Luda for her time and insights today. It was a pleasure to have her on the Let's Turn the Tide podcast on our special series, Voices of COP. Please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel Veolia and Middle East and search for Let's Turn the Tide on your favorite podcast platform. We are not yet done with our special series Voices of Cop, so please stay tuned for our upcoming episodes.